This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life. Looking for the perfect gift for book lovers in your life this holiday season? Give the gift of TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations as diverse and interesting as readers are. Choose from plans that allow your loved ones to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email as a one-time gift or a year-long subscription and sit back while our bibliologists do the rest. When your recipient redeems their gift, they'll complete a profile to tell TBR about their reading preferences and what they're looking for, and they can even connect their Goodreads account. Then we'll match them up with a bibliologist who will handpick recommendations just for them. Gifts start at just $16, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so when you treat someone's shelf, you're also supporting a local indie. Visit mytbr.co slash gift to sign up today and give the bookish folks in your life a personalized bookish experience they can enjoy without leaving their home. That's mytbr.co slash gift. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 90, and we are recording on Tuesday, November 17th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hi, Rincey. How are you? I'm doing good. I am uh, very cold today, because it was very cold here in Chicago today, but, you know, I feel like I'm warmer than I was this morning for whatever reason. Maybe it's the tea, but this morning I was, like, freezing cold. (laughs) Well, earlier today, Blaine told me, he said, you know, you can turn the heat up a degree if you want. It's kind of chilly in here. I'm like, oh boy, a whole degree? Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> he he tends to like things on the cooler side. Like, we, we slash he keeps the house fairly cool or as cool as he can year round. And... I am always freezing. Like, I've usually got, like, three layers on and slippers, and I'm still like, why Why don't we have heat? This is the 21st century. So it's it, it was okay today. But, yeah, there have been a few mornings recently where I've woken up, and I'm like, well, I can't feel my feet. <laughs> that oh, was a great no. start to the day. <laughs> it's definitely not that bad for me, but I also sleep with, like, three blankets, so <laughs> I understand. I do, too. And we got a weighted blanket for our as a wedding gift a couple of years ago. And so we have that on our bed now. And that thing, oh my gosh, I love it so much. But when I fall asleep under it, because it's so comfortable, then I overheat. And then I wake up and I'm just like, okay, I can't move. I'm really warm. And I need to like immediately jump in the shower. But this weighted blanket just feels like a 15 pound hug. And I just don't want to move. So the struggle has been real. Let me just put it that way. The struggle has been very real to get out of bed the last few days. Yeah, I got a weighted blanket a couple of weeks ago. And everyone warned me about the overheating thing. And now I'm like really concerned about my body circulation because I definitely do not overheat with that thing on. But I also have a tendency to like, like over the course of the night, I usually end up like slightly pushing it off me somehow. I don't know if I just move too much or what, but like... It's never quite like in the same place like on me as it was when I first started. So maybe that's the issue more than anything else. Yeah, no, when I put on the weighted blanket, I am just like 
down. I don't move. Like I am just in that spot. And when I wake up, I'm my all my limbs are stiff because I've just been sleeping in one position and I'm warm and there's usually a cat on me somewhere because the cats love the weighted blanket. So when I use the weighted blanket, I there's usually going to end up being a cat at my feet or something like that. So yeah, I'm going to have to figure something out because this early on in the cold weather season, I don't want to use the W word yet. We're not, we're not quite there, but um, yeah, I'm going to have to figure something out because yeah, working from home where it's, you don't have as much motivation, like, oh, I'm going to, I have to drive and I might be late for work kind of motivation. It, it gets harder and harder to wake up in a timely and professional fashion. I definitely understand that. Um, And instead of using the W word, we can use the word holiday. It's the holiday season. It is the holiday season. Oh, gosh darn pandemic. <laughs> it's true. But, you know, this is a time of year lots of people look forward to. It's also our holiday episode. So, you know, just keeping everything on theme. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That is a fantastic segue. I hi- I highly approve of that. <laughs> All right. So before we jump into our holiday recommendations, I have our first sponsor, and that is Elsewhere by Dean Kuntz. When a local eccentric named Spooky Ed shows up on their doorstep with a strange device, Jeffy Coltrane and his 11-year-old daughter Amity's life takes a remarkable turn. The device allows them to jump between parallel planes where anything is possible, even finding the wife and mother who left them seven years ago. But Jeffy and Amity aren't the only ones interested in the device. A man with a dark purpose is in pursuit, determined to use its grand potential for profound evil. Now the fate of the world is in their hands. So I don't really think I need to uh, pitch who Dean Kuntz is. <laughs> He's a, you know, number one New York Times bestselling author. He is, you know, one of the top suspense writers out there right now. And he is back with a new novel. This is an action-packed story. Uh, it's an adventure filled with wonder and terror. And in this novel, a father and a do- daughter vie with an evil force to control fate, which, you know, sounds super, super fun. And this could definitely be something that you either buy for yourself or buy for a loved one in your life. If you know someone who's a big Dean Koontz fan, maybe you can uh, pick this one up before they do. Uh, so again, that one is called Al Elsewhere by Dean Kuntz, and we thank them so much for sponsoring this episode. Man, you find a strange device and someone with a dark purpose is going to just ruin everything for you. I tell you. They always do. They always do. All right. Well, before we jump into the holiday episode, um, I do want to give our quick intro for all of our listeners. If you are a new listener, welcome. This is going to be a really fun episode to jump in into the fun with. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. We're so happy that you continue to put us in your ear holes every two weeks. So this podcast, we talk about mystery, suspense, thrillers, true crime, anything that falls under that particular literary umbrella, whether it's subgenres or movie adaptations or new books coming out, or read-alikes for a particular suspense author, anything that falls under that category is fair game. And this is the part of the episode where we always ask our listeners to think about what they might be interested in hearing on a future episode, and then to let us know, because we really, really do take a lot of these suggestions into account when planning future episodes. We will have our contact information at the end of the show, but we always like to get everyone's gears turning at the beginning. So if you have an idea, let us know. 
And usually this is where we jump into our news segment, but there wasn't really much going on the last couple of weeks, and this is our holiday gift-giving recommendation episode, so we just kind of wanted to jump right into the fun here. So, uh, Rincey, why don't, why, don't you, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, so for this year's holiday recommendations episode, we decided to kind of come up with, like, categories or, like, different people who might be in your life or possibly you yourself, like, different categories of types of books and come up with recommendations to fit those categories. So the first one is one that I thought of, and it's one that I feel like a lot of us have someone in our life who is a dad or dad adjacent and re- and or just really likes what we like to call dad books. Um, so the people who, you know, maybe read a lot of like World War II novels or just in general, like military things. That's what I think of, at least when it comes to dad books. So I feel like the people who are listening to this podcast may not be the target audience for a dad book, but you might have someone in your life who reads dad books and you're like, I don't read these types of books. I don't know what to give them. So I thought this would be a good category to uh, begin with. So uh, the book that I have to recommend to your dad or fan of dad books is The Golden Thread by Ravi Somaya. And this is a nonfiction book that deals with this uh, mystery around the time of the Cold War. And it deals with the death of the uh, UN Secretary General Dag. I'm going to try to pronounce the Swedish name. It's Hammarskjöld, possibly. But uh, basically, in 1961, uh, the UN secretary got on a plane in Congo. And within a couple of hours, his plane crashed and he was found dead in the African jungle. And there was an ace of spades tucked into his collar. So this man was basically the head of the UN for about nine years. And he was like a legend during this time period because he was like the epitome of a straight shooter like he 100% did not try to take sides what his his sole mission basically was to try to negotiate peace and that propelled him more than anything else however obviously like most countries don't actually really seem to want world peace like what they want is peace with them in power um and so he actually made a lot of enemies while working as a un secretary because he wasn't willing to just bow to the most powerful people and so this included like the kgb the cia underground militant groups different business people all of this stuff who kind of had it out for him because he was unwilling to like bend to their will. So this book is written by someone who is a journalist. I believe he's written for like the New York Times and things like that. And he, you know, did a number of interviews with like people who were spies during this time period and all of this stuff. And this book is actually like really well done where it provides you with the context of what was happening during this time period. It provides you with a little bit of history and background on this man. So you kind of understand like how he grew up and why he had sort of like the stances that he had and how he worked as a UN secretary uh, while also explaining like basic ideas of what was happening with all these countries during the Cold War. Um, And this is basically an unsolved crime. And so this story goes into 
you know, what exactly happens and what exactly people think potentially happened to this guy or who might have had it out for him. And, you know, the whole Ace of Spades thing obviously adds this extra layer of intrigue. But I feel like this is a book that is like kind of the perfect combination of like military related stuff with this happening during the Cold War um, and all of these different organizations potentially having it out for this man uh, while also having this like mystery at the center of it all and it also obviously deals with like world politics and stuff like that so I feel like this is like a great dad book that has 100% flown under the radar and again that's called The Golden Thread by Ravi Sumaya. Yeah that checks off like every dad book box that you can <laughs> that you can have there that that is a really good pick so my pick is a book that we have talked about a few times on the show, but I think would make a really good fiction pick for someone who enjoys fictional mysteries, and that is IQ by Joe E. Day. And so this is the first book in the series, and IQ is the main character. He's He's like a very modern twist on the Sherlock Holmes character type. He lives in Los Angeles. He lives in a really tough neighborhood. And he basically uses his just his really keen intellect to solve the crimes that the LAPD ignores. So that's, you know, the, the murders of very vulnerable people that the police can't be bothered to investigate or children that go missing and... Again, they don't have the time, the resources, or the interest to try and track them down. So this is where IQ comes in. And he's he's kind of a loner. He's a high school dropout, but he's he is so smart and he is able to figure these things out. And he charges his clients whatever they can afford, whether, I mean, it might be, you know, a new set of tires, it might be a homemade casserole. And to get by, he's forced to take on clients that can actually pay him, you know, real money. And so in the first book, he takes on the case of a rap mogul whose life is in danger. And as he investigates, he's he encounters a bunch of really cutthroat characters, a vengeful ex-wife, an attack dog, a hitman, and and the of course the farther into the mystery that he goes, the the more dangerous it becomes. And Rincey and I have both read this book. What we both really remember about about this book is just the really gritty rawness of the mystery like when they say it takes place like in the LA projects like you feel that it, it is has such a strong sense of place and it takes this trope of the Sherlock Holmes character which people are very familiar with a lot of people really love those those types of stories and it really gives it a new twist it introduces lots of new characters puts a new perspective on it and we just really loved this book a lot so if you have someone of course this book can be read by anyone not just the not just the dad book lovers in your life but this in particular i think would work really well for those types of readers and if they like IQ, which is the first book in the series. There are four books currently published in the series, and then there's a fifth one that's supposed to be coming out early next year. So you've got gift ideas for several holidays and birthdays to come. I'm just saying. So this this could be the gift that keeps on giving. So again, that is IQ by Joe Day. All right. So to jump into our next category, we went with a kind of 
nonfiction subgenre that's been very popular over the last few few years, which is nonviolent mysteries or true crime. There's been a lot of nonviolent um, true crime, white collar true crime books that have come out recently. And so the one that I picked, again, this is one that we've, that is a red or dead favorite, is The Feather Thief, Beauty, Obsession, and the Natural History Heist of the Century by Kirk Wallace Johnson. And this is a book that, I mean, we've talked about on the show at my library. I recommend this book to patrons, like every opportunity that I get. If I had to pick one word to sum up this book, it is bonkers. This book is absolutely banana pants bonkers, and it's 100% true, and it's absolutely a case of where the truth is stranger than fiction. You cannot, like, if this were a fictional title, you wouldn't believe it because it is so outlandish. So in 2009, a 20-year-old American flautist um, named Edwin Rist, who was studying in London, he went to an outpost of the British Museum of Natural History broke into the museum, into their room full of rare bird specimens that were captured by Sir Alfred Russell Wallace. And, you know, that that kind of like 1800s scientists around the time of Charles Darwin, when there was so much exploring going on. So and then this guy, he goes in there and he steals hundreds of thousands of these rare bird specimens because he wants to use the feathers to fund his obsession with the Victorian art of salmon fly tying, like for fishing. Because this is a thing, like in modern times, there is a small group of people that are obsessed with the Victorian art of salmon fly tying, which requires feathers from exotic tropical birds in order to create these lures. And it's a lucrative industry within this circle, and these feathers can be sold for thousands of dollars. And this guy, he he stole a bunch of, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of dead birds to fund this obsession. This is a book that I don't care if you're not interested in fishing or natural history or anything along those lines, because I wasn't either. And this book is just, it is a page turner. It is a book that you will probably just be aware that if you give this book to someone, they are probably going to annoy the crap out of anyone they live with, because they're going to be stopping like every page going, I cannot believe this sentence here. Let me read you what I just read. Because that happened to me, and I annoyed the crap out of my husband. (laughs) But this book is just ludicrous. And it's so fascinating. And it's just one of those books that you wish it were longer because it's such an unbelievable story that you just want to keep reading. You're like, this is, there's got to be so much more going on here. So, I mean, I could go on about this book for hours. So again, that is The Feather Thief by Kirk Wallace Johnson. Okay, so I have a book that I think I just mentioned in the last episode, or maybe it was two episodes ago, uh, because it just recently came out. And it sounds so intriguing to me. It's called The Woman Who Stole Vermeer, The True Story of Rose Dugdale and the Rustboro House Art Heist by Anthony M. Amor. So a thing I didn't realize until I was looking more into this book uh, was is that Anthony M. Amor actually works as a security guard at a museum and was like in charge of recovering 13 stolen pieces. Uh, I think this happened in like the 1990s or something like that. And so he is definitely someone who uh, has some knowledge about the whole art heist industry. But uh, if you didn't hear me talk about this before. Rose Dugdale was born in 
like the 1950s, I think. Uh, but basically in 1974, she became the only woman who has ever pulled off a major art heist. She is kind of a legend because she not only like pulled off this art heist, but she basically uh, joined the cause of the Irish republics and kind of became like a radical as well. Um, but she was born like extremely wealthy and the sort of path of her becoming a part of this world and then eventually becoming one of the only women to attempt to pull off an art high. She was able to steal millions of dollars worth of prize paintings, including a Goya, a Rubens, um, and of course a Vermeer. And so it feels like, you know, the art heist world obviously is very male dominated. And so I'm partially just intrigued because, you know, she's the only woman to pull off an art heist, but partially intrigued just because art heists in general are super fun. And then like sort of the third part of that is that she was like born into a world that's already extremely wealthy uh, and she still like chose this as her path. And so I'm like fascinating by this. And I feel like this is a book that, again, just has kind of flown under the radar. But I feel like this whole, like Kitty was saying, nonviolent, true crime subgenre is becoming a real thing. And so I feel like if you are someone who are is looking for books that fall into that category or you know someone who maybe has already picked up The Feather Thief and like The Dinosaur Artist and other things like that and are is looking for more books to pick up in that world, um, I feel like this would be a really good one to pick up. I think it's going to be like part history and part sort of like cultural what was going on in Ireland and England during that time period, uh, but also obviously has a heart art heist in the middle of it. So again, that's called The Woman Who Stole Vermeer, The True Story of Rose Dugdale and the Rustboro House Art Heist by Anthony M. Amore. I would just like to point out that <laughs> those of us at Red or Dead do not actually condone art heists. And while art heists may be super fun to read about, they are not super fun to commit. Please do not commit any art heists. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we don't condone any sort of heists in general. <laughs> no heisting. <laughs> but read about heisting. <laughs> Yeah, read about heisting, but don't do it in real life. <laughs> I didn't even think about that uh, needing to be a potential disclaimer <laughs> we provide. I am, I am just covering our bases here. I am not going to be pulled into a legal thing because someone said, well, I heard about it on Red or Dead. Look, uh, yeah, we don't condone any of these things, but reading about it is really fun. There you go. All right, so for our next category, I thought it would be cool to just talk about some really fun, like, action-packed mystery thriller type of stories. Uh, for me, I mean, I mostly just had this one book in mind that I'm going to recommend right now, uh, but I think also, like, you might be having a hard time reading this year, you know, because it's 2020, and I don't think I need to say more than that. So I feel like sometimes you just need something that's really like fun and fast paced and it'll like grip you right away. Or you might just have someone in your life who really enjoys like more action type of mysteries and thrillers and stuff like that. So I feel like you know, just for the person in your life, whether it's you or someone else who really enjoys like fast paced, action packed stories, these are the books for you. So my recommendation is Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Cosby. Uh, this is a book that got a lot of buzz this year, and I feel like for good reason. I think the best pitch for this book is like Ocean's Eleven plus either Drive or Fast and the Furious, things like that. Um, you are following this man named Bug. That's his nickname. His real name is Bogart Regard. He lives in North Carolina, and he was arrested at one point for being part of like this heist thing. He's basically a getaway driver. 
And so he, when the story starts, he's basically on the straight and narrow. He runs a car shop, at, but he isn't doing super well at the car shop because there's another car shop in town that's basically one of those like big box type of car shops that's undercutting him in prices. And so in order to be able to pay the bills and things like that, Bug reluctantly agrees to help out with a diamond heist. And he is basically hoping that with this diamond heist, he is able to like officially cut ties with his past. But of course, things do not go according to plan. And there is a whole lot that goes wrong. So this book was so much fun to read. I honestly cannot recommend this highly enough if you are looking for something like super fun and fast paced. I think that Bug is a super interesting character. Cosby does a really good job of providing like backstory so you get like good little snippets into him as well as his past without like bogging down the story with those details. And it he also writes like really great driving scenes. I have not read a lot of books that have like driving scenes in them but like the entire time while I was reading this book I was just like this needs to be made into a movie immediately because I was imagining movies like The Fast and the Furious and things like that that have these really fun driving scenes in them and it's it was doing basically the same thing that Fast and Furious does where it like makes you want to like jump in your car and like speed around on the expressway again Red or Dead does not condone doing that but (laughs) it gives you that feeling uh so I just think that this was like such a fun book like I think sometimes like with especially the books that Katie and I read it can get really dark it can get really you know like psychological and stuff like that but if you want something that's like just pure fun this would be a really great book to pick up uh so again that's called blacktop wasteland by s.a cosby all right and then for my pick i actually selected a young adult book that i talked about uh maybe two years ago um on the show and it's called White Rabbit by Caleb Rorig. And even though it's a young adult mystery, this book is super fast paced, super intense. Like even for me as an adult reader, like this book was so, so interesting. I loved it so much. So this book takes place over the course of a single night. So already you've got that condensed timeline that's going to just keep you turning the pages. And the main character's name is Rufus, and he's just having a really terrible night. It starts off with his ex-boyfriend, Sebastian, reappearing after he broke his heart several weeks ago. And so Sebastian turns up out of the blue saying that they need to talk, and Rufus is like, Oh my god, this is not the time. And then right when Sebastian shows up, Rufus gets a call from his sister April begging for help because she is at a house where she was with several people and now she is drenched in blood, holding a knife right beside the dead body of her boyfriend and she doesn't know what happened. She knows she didn't kill him, but she's like, I don't, like, I need help. I don't know what's going on. And Rufus knows that she has a tendency to not tell the whole truth. So he's like, okay, there is clearly something else going on here. And so he's trying to help his sister, who again, he's like, "Mm, I don't know exactly what's going on, but I know you haven't told me everything. And the only person who's there to help him is Sebastian. And so Rufus gets pulled into what is probably going to be the longest night of his life, where he has to go on a quest to prove his sister's innocence and 
also deal with this failed relationship that is still eating away at him. Oh my gosh, this book, I I I don't remember if I read it in a single sitting. It may have been two sittings, but it is such a breakneck paced book. Like it's one of those books where you it's so there's so much happening. You almost feel like as you're reading, you almost feel the ha- your hair like flowing backwards like there like there's a strong breeze flowing on you. And it's it's really it's was way darker than I expected. It's gritty. This is another one that would make for a really good PG-13 thriller movie. It would it's it's just so cinematic. The characters are really interesting and I don't usually go for books that have some kind of a romantic element to it or that there's a romantic relationship going on there. Usually I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't really want to read about that. But even with this book, it just enriched the story. It just made it all the more interesting. And oh my gosh, so, so good. This would, I mean, obviously, if you have a teen reader in your life, or if you happen to really like young adult books, this would be a great pick. But it would be a great pick, honestly, for any type of reader who just really, really likes intense mysteries. So again, that is White Rabbit by Caleb Rorig. And then before we move on to the rest of our recommendations, I do have our second sponsor, which is the audiobook edition of Ink by Jonathan Mayberry. So this is a standalone supernatural thriller about a memory thief who feeds on the most precious of dreams. Tattoo artist Patty Cakes has had her dead daughter's face tattooed on the back of her hand, but day by day it begins to fade, taking with it all of Patty's memories of her daughter. And all she's left with is the certain knowledge that she has forgotten her lost child, and the awareness of that loss is tearing her apart. Monk Addison is a private investigator whose skin is covered with the tattooed faces of murder victims. He is a predator who hunts for killers, and the ghosts of all those dead people haunt his life. And some of those faces have begun to fade too, destroying the very souls of the dead. And all through the town of Pine Deep, people are having their most precious memories stolen. The monster seems to target the lonely, the disenfranchised, the people who need memories to anchor them to this world. Something is out there. Something cruel and evil is feeding on the memories, erasing them from the hearts and minds of people like Patty and Monk and others. This is a story of a few lonely, damaged people hunting for a memory thief, because when all you have are memories, there is no greater horror than forgetting. So if you have not read anything by Jonathan Mayberry before, he is such a good author. I've read some of his adult horror. I've read one of his young adult horror books. And he is just such a creative author. And the audiobook is read by fan favorite narrator Ray Porter. And if this sounds like something that might be up your alley, make sure to check out the audiobook edition of Ink by Jonathan Mayberry, which you can pick up now wherever audiobooks are sold. And we thank them so much for sponsoring this episode. All right, so our next umbrella category to talk about are cozy mysteries. And anyone listening to this podcast for a while knows that this is not necessarily mine and Katie's wheelhouse, but I did think it was kind of important to talk about just because I'm sure that there are lots of people out there who either enjoy cozy mysteries themselves or know someone who does. So the book that I am going to recommend is Mimi Lee Gets a Clue by Jennifer J. Chow. And the first book in this series came out earlier this year and the second book is already out. So I kind of wanted to highlight it because there's already two books out. So if the uh, 
person that you are gifting this book to enjoys the first one, then they already have a second one to pick up. Uh, but also I feel like that if you are someone who reads Cozy Mysteries, this one may have flown under the radar for you a little bit because it does not have a lot of like ratings or anything like that on Amazon or Goodreads or like anything along those lines, which obviously isn't definitive, but is usually a pretty good indicator of how popular books are. So in this book, you are following Mimi Lee, who has opened up a pet grooming shop called Holly Wolf, which amazing. <laughs> and so uh, the basically first cat that comes to the grooming shop basically leads to a disastrous situation. The situation basically comes out to that the cat is a talking cat named Marshmallow. And Marshmallow exposes a local breeder named Russ Nolan for mistreating chihuahuas. So Mimi basically goes to tell Russ off. And then the next day, the police show up at Hollywood because Russ has been found dead. And so Mimi's shouting match was basically put as like front and center because it just happened. And so now Mimi is the main suspect behind the death. And so in order to help clear her own name, as well as help save these dogs that have been left behind, Mimi ends up enlisting help from her lawyer neighbor named Joss, who she may or may not have a crush on. And then it basically, you know, takes what you think of with these cozy mysteries. You know, Mimi becomes an amateur sleuth trying to figure out what exactly happened here? And you have Marshmallow, who is a talking cat with a lot of sass. Um, so this is just like a really fun, you know, fast paced light book. It has like this fun animal element to it. The series is called a sassy cat mystery series. Like it doesn't really get much better than that. Uh, so I feel like if you are someone who reads a decent amount of cozies, or you know, someone who reads a decent amount of cozies, this would be a really fun one to pick up that's like a little bit different than maybe some of the other cozies that they may be familiar with. So I just feel like this sounds super cute, super fun, and definitely worth checking out. And again, that's called Mimi Lee Gets a Clue by Jennifer J. Chow. And now I'm trying to picture my sassy cats being like trying to solve a mystery. I'm like, oh God, nothing would get done. <laughs> they just spend all the time when they're trying to solve a mystery just wrestling with each other. And I'm I'm imagining that some of that might actually happen in the book too, where like the cat just gets distracted. Just partially because like in Jennifer Chow's bio, it says like she grew up reading a lot of Garfield comics. And I can like definitely <laughs> see like a Garfield type of character being like a sidekick in a cozy mystery series. Oh my gosh, this is basically the underlying message is that cats probably should not be detectives. <laughs> probably not. All right, so my uh, cozy mystery recommendation is, again, it's another young adult pick, um, one that I read recently that I just loved, 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 loved to pieces. And it definitely fit, it ticks all of the boxes that you get when reading a cozy mystery. And again, that is In the Hall with the Knife by Diane Paterfreund. And this book, if you can't tell from the title, it is the first in a clue mystery series, but it is it is so fun and fresh, and it takes the the general characters of the clue board game and it turns it into a young adult mystery that takes place at a boarding school in the northern Maine woods where a group of students who all have names like, you know, their nickname is Peacock or they're, there's someone with the last name of Plum, first name Scarlet. So, you know, see where we're going here. 
And so they're up in the woods in and their prep school. And they're left stranded on campus with their headmaster when a winter storm suddenly blows in. And hours later, his body is found in the conservatory. His name is Mr. Body. If you are familiar with Clue, you will, yeah, you, you figure out who's going to die pretty quickly. And so they have all been in this, they've, they've all been trapped in this house by the storm. So they've all been together in this house. The headmaster turns up dead. Very clear that his death was not an accident. And every student in this group has something to hide. Again, this, it just, oh my gosh, it's so fun. It's so fresh. It is so charming. There, I mean, aside from the murder, which obviously happens off screen, there is, there's no violence. There is, like, I don't even know that there's a curse word in the book. I mean, I'm, I've pretty much, like, tuned most of that out a long time ago. So I'm a really bad person to ask if a book has cursing in it. But I, I don't even think this book does. It's just so much fun. And this was, this was a book that I read a couple months ago that I credit with starting to break me out of some part of my pandemic reading slump. Like I read it in two hours in a single sitting. And I loved all of the characters. They were so interesting. The mystery was really well written. And, you know, I think with sometimes with with books like this, where it's like, oh, it's based on a board game or something, it might you might look at and think mm, this is this might be kind of formulaic. It's not at all. It's so good. So interesting. And this is a book that you can hand, I think, to just about any reader, whether they are a little bit younger, or if they're an adult that just loves really classic mysteries. Again, that is In the Hall with a Knife by Diana Peterfreund. And the second book in the series, which is In the Study with the Wrench, just came out like last month or something like that. So there is a second book in the series if you or the person you're gifting this book to really enjoy it. To kick off our next category, we have um, for fans of Unsolved Mysteries, the the revival show that uh, got rebooted on Netflix this year, which has a couple seasons worth of episodes that are so good and so interesting and great pandemic watching. So if you're a fan of that and or inaugural serial killers, these would be really good books to pick up and you'll... You'll understand what we're talking about when Renzi talks about her book next. But the one that I picked is called The Midnight Assassin, Panic, Scandal, and the Hunt for America's First Serial Killer by Skip Hollinsworth. And this is a true crime book, and it is an unsolved mystery. It looks at the, um, in the late 1800s, like eight, mid-1880s, in Austin, Texas, there was you know, Austin was becoming this this emerging city, and it was really starting to boom. But in December of 1884, Austin was terrorized by a serial killer for about a year that someone went, you know, went across the city and really brutally murdered women from just about every race or social class. And the, these women were, you know, torn apart, basically, and no one was able to figure out who done it. There were over a dozen men who were who were arrested in connection with the murders, but they were all eventually released. No one could pin anything on on a particular person. You know, be, you know, we're talking unsolved mysteries. Ultimately, this person was never found. 
there are some theories as to who this person might have been. There are some interesting theories about who this person may have become. Some people think this person may have crossed the Atlantic over to England and in 1888 began a series of even more infamous killings. But this book is so interesting. Even though you don't have the resolution at the end of the book about who done it, the murders themselves are really horrific. But it's also a really interesting portrait of, you know, a city on the rise, and then they're suddenly met with these terrible tragedies and not knowing what to do, not knowing how to, you know, how to get through this. They don't know, you know, how how is the mayor of Austin supposed supposed to handle this? You know, it's it was just this really brutal, confusing time that really left its mark on the city. And at the end of the book, which I think is really interesting in the author's note, he talks about how it's like, yeah, the with the documents that we that we have, no one has been able to figure out who this is. But he puts out a call to readers saying, you know, I I believe that the answer to this mystery is out there somewhere. And it's probably hidden somewhere in the old family documents, like in someone's attic or something like that. So he puts out a call to readers, like, if you have any additional information, let me know, which they do at the end of all of the Unsolved Mystery episodes, like they present the the story, they talk to the people involved, you get as much, you know, information as you can at the end, they're like, you know, if you have any additional information, you know, you can go to these resources. But I think this is a really, really interesting story. And it's one that I think a lot of people, even if you're familiar with true crime, probably haven't heard of. It's not a long book. It's one you can get through really quickly, but it's super, super interesting. But again, that is The Midnight Assassin by Skip Hollinsworth. Okay, so for my pick, I have America's First Female Serial Killer, Jane Toppin and the Making of a Monster by Mary Kay McBrayer. So, you know, that's why uh, Katie said this, this topic actually ended up being inaugural serial killers. <laughs> um, and I do have to say that Mary Kay McBrayer is a contributor at Book Riot. She used to write the horror newsletters at Book Riot and things like that. And so she is, you know, part of the family here, basically. Uh, so she wrote a book that's kind of like a novelization of the true story of this Irish American nurse named Jane Toppin, who was actually born as Honor Kelly. And so she looks at the story of this woman's life and what led her to becoming a serial killer. And it's super, super fascinating. And so this is a book that's like perfect for people who enjoy all of these true crime podcasts and TV shows. If you picked up like Mindhunter or anything along those lines, like I feel like this book would 100% be perfect. You follow Jane, who as a young child, her father abandoned her and her sister uh, to the Boston Female Asylum. And then after that, she becomes basically an indentured worker to this extremely wealthy family who ended up changing her name to Jane, but they never actually adopted her. They wrote her out of the will completely and basically made her feel completely terrible about herself. And so that was basically like, you know, the foundation for terrible, terribleness to come. But then she was also like left at the altar. Uh, and so she ended up becoming a nurse and she basically used her knowledge as a nurse uh, to take the lives of her victims. So this a book about obviously like what happened to her growing up that led to her becoming like this extremely damaged person who wasn't able to 
you know, rationalize what exactly she was doing, or she was able to rationalize it in an unhealthy way, if that makes sense. And so it basically just takes the angle of this was a person who did really horrible things, but it's because she came from an extremely damaged background. Um, So yeah, I think that if you are someone who, again, enjoys things like Mindhunter and really gets into the head of serial killers and what makes them do these really horrific acts, I feel like this would be a really great book to pick up. Uh, So again, that's called America's First Female Serial Killer by Mary Kay McBrayer. All right. And then we've got one category left um, for that one friend who loves messed up psychological thrillers. We all have that friend. Some of us are that friend. It me. Um, <laughs> but if you if you have have that person that just loves just twisted, dark, the darker, the better, the more demented the book is, the more they love it. So my pick is actually this book I talked about on our very first, like before episode one, when we recorded episode zero, this was the book I I talked about. I remember that. And this book is called Perfect Days by Rafael Montez. This is a book very much in the vein of like um, the talented Mr. Ripley uh, stories along those lines. So Teo is the main character in the book. He lives alone with his mother and her dog in Rio de Janeiro. Um, He doesn't have many friends. In fact, the only time he really feels like actual human emotion is when he is in the presence of his medical school cadaver. Yeah, that's healthy. That all changes when he meets Clarice, who is like his exact opposite in every way. And he becomes enamored and obsessed with her. So trigger warning there if if um you do not enjoy stories of stalking behaviors, this would probably be a good book to avoid. Um because Teo begins to stalk her and ultimately ends up kidnapping her and they embark on a very twisted odyssey across Brazil. That's about all of the plot I'm going to give. This book, it's just the more you read, you think, oh, this can't get worse. And it does. And it does. And when you read the book, and then you look at the cover, and there are a few different versions of the cover. I prefer the hardcover one, where it's just a white cover with a pink satin-lined suitcase on the front. When you read the book and then look at that cover, you're going to go, oh, no. It's, oh, this book is so dark, so twisted. By the end of it, I was just like, oh, like I was practically crawling out of my skin and I loved it. And what's great about this book is that it's one of those under the radar picks. So if you have someone who loves psychological thrillers and and they think that they've already read everything, this would be a really great one to pull out of your back pocket and be like, boom, probably haven't read this one. Enjoy. So again, that is Perfect Days by Rafael Montez. Okay, and then my pick is The Kill Club by Wendy Hurd. Now, this is not quite as dark as Katie's recommendation (laughs) will be. (laughs) Very few things are. (laughs) But I feel like this would still be a really fun book for the person in your life who likes dark, like thrillers, things like that, because this is like a darker thriller book. So in this story, you are following this character named Jazz, and her and her 13-year-old brother 
are basically a part of the foster system, but Jazz no longer lives at home. I think she's like over the age of 18 at this point. And so she lives on her own. But then there's her brother who is 13 years old and they he still lives with their foster mom named Carol. However, Carol is like this fundamentalist religious fanatic and believes that Joaquin, who is the 13-year-old brother, Joaquin doesn't need to take his diabetic medicine because the Lord will heal him. And so Jazz is like furious about this and is trying to get him out of this situation when one day she gets a call from a block number saying that they are willing to help Jazz with this situation and invites her to be a part of the murder club. Now, the murder club is basically this mysterious person who organizes all of these murders. And what she does is she reaches out to people who are in these like terrible, desperate situations. So it's like people in abusive relationships or like people in this type of situation or people who are like being stalked or, you know, all of this different stuff. And they are willing to provide the service of getting the terrible person in their life murdered and the way that they do it is by getting the other people who are in need of help to murder one of the other people so basically jazz is told that if she is willing to murder someone else who she has no idea who this person is or anything like that then someone will murder carol the foster mom for her and take care of the situation. And the way that it works is basically like no one knows who anyone else is. No one knows the person that they're murdering, all this stuff. So it basically creates these deaths where there's no one connected to the person who does the murdering and stuff like that. So it makes it very, very difficult for the police to figure out what exactly is going on. And obviously, like, you only murder someone once. So there's no like repetition or anything along those lines. Um, And so Jazz obviously is in an extremely desperate situation and wants to get her brother out of this desperate situation. So she agrees. But obviously, things don't go according to plan. And I will leave it at that. Um, This was another book that was just like really, really fun. It has a lot of twists in it that I did not see coming at all. Um, It's set in Los Angeles and the setting is a huge part of it. And I really enjoyed that aspect as well. It does get, you know, super murdery, as you can imagine. (laughs) No. Yeah, I know. Shocking in a book called The Kill Club. But... (laughs) That's why I feel like this would also be a book just who enjoy for people who enjoy darker stuff because there's a lot of killing in here. Um, so just a forewarning for that. But I feel like this is also a book that kind of has flown under the radar a bit. So again, that book is called The Kill Club by Wendy Hurd. All right. And then to wrap up the episode really quick, I couldn't leave the episode without talking about the book that I finished reading over the weekend. I read it in the span of a single day, and I just loved it to pieces. It is The Return by Rachel Harrison, which would also fall under the category of really messed up psychological thrillers. Um, Although I think it definitely should be is definitely more horror than anything else but it's close enough so i get to talk about it on the show um but basically the real quick story is that there's a group of four friends in their 20s um and one of them named julie goes missing and her friends don't know where she went they have no idea what might have happened to her um and then two years later julie shows up again she like two years to the day she reappears she has no memory of what of where she's been, what happened to her, except there is something very different about Julie. She and her her husband, her friends, do not believe that she is the same person who they knew two years ago. And the majority of the book is the four friends. They are getting together for what they think will be a fun 
girls weekend at this really bizarre hotel. And it does not end up being a fun girls weekend at this hotel. This book, oh my gosh, so creepy. So just, oh, so skin crawlingly creepy. But it has so much stuff about friendships and how we navigate those friendships and how we talk to people and communicate with them and, you know, what friendships mean and stuff like that. I just, it spoke to me on so many levels. Like I saw myself in so many of these relationships between the friends. And yeah, it is just super creepy. Like I finished reading it and I just wanted to go, oh my gosh. So if you are in the mood for a book like that, or if you know someone who is, pick up The Return by Rachel Harrison. I loved it to pieces. Okay, and then obviously really quickly as we are wrapping up our show, I wanted to briefly mention the book that I have recently read that I also think would be a really good gift recommendation just because it fits, but it didn't fit into any of our categories. And that is Scandinavian Noir by Wendy Lesser. This is another nonfiction book and it is part like book about books and part like cultural history and this is a book perfect for anyone in your life or possibly you who really enjoys Scandinavian noir so this book is broken up into two parts the first part is Wendy Lesser talking about Scandinavian noir and she focuses specifically on Sweden Norway and Denmark so obviously she's not doing an extensive uh, look at Scandinavian noir, but the first half just looks at it as a genre in general, why it's popular, what is what about it like has gotten people's attention, and then obviously like the specific cultural stuff that it takes place in Scandinavian noir books. And then the second half of the book is Wendy Lesser traveling to these countries and then figuring out what she knows about those countries from those books and then seeing if any of those things are actually true. So I feel like this would be a really good book for American readers of Scandinavian noir who may not necessarily know the cultural aspects behind some of the books that they're reading. Because I know that I've read some Scandinavian noir and I don't necessarily know like what rings true to those countries and what doesn't and what's just like fictionalized and things like that. So I feel like this would be a really good book to kind of shed some light on that. Um, but then also it's really fun to watch Wendy Lesser as she travels to those countries and talks to, you know, detectives who work in those countries and talk to the locals and talk to people who have read these books who actually live in those countries and listening to them talk about what is and isn't accurate in the books that are published and that have gotten really popular and stuff like that. So I feel like this would be a really good gift book. So again, that one is called Scandinavian Noir in Pursuit of a Mystery by Wendy Lesser. All right. So that is our show. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. Hopefully you got some good book recommendations for either yourself or a loved one in your life. Thank you so much to our sound editor, Jen Zink, for making us sound great every other week. For our show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. We will have a list to all of the books that we mentioned here today. So that way, if you heard us talk about something that you were interested in, but you can't exactly remember what it was, you know, feel free to head to the show notes. We'll have them all listed there. If you enjoy the podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can find us and join us. And if you want to send us an email with feedback or show suggestions, you can find us at redordead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Rincey A. And I'm on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye.